This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. So, this week's Pasha is Pasha's Re'ei. Re'ei, open up your eyes. See what's going on. That's how the Pasha begins. Last week's Pasha was Akev. We talked about the things in life that, like the heel, we don't really, we're not really in contact with all the time. This week's Pasha begins Re'ei. The Pasha begins, Look, I have given you today, every Jew, every person has a bracha or a klala, choice. Bechira. Everybody wants to have Bechira. This Pasha, this week's Pasha, first Pasik tells you, Hashem put in front of you, there's a smorgasbord. And at the smorg, there's good and there's bad. And it's standing right in front of you. And it's up to you to choose the good or the bad. One rabbi said, most important thing is, Re'ei Anoichi. See me. Anoichi Hashem Aleikacha. The first thing you need to see when you get up in the morning, you got to see God. We spoke about that. How many of the young ladies in the crowd listened to what I had to say last week, and when they get up in the morning, they get to their front door, do their check to make sure that they can see, and they can feel, and they can hear, and they can smell, and they can taste. I got one text message this week that, and whilst in my day is different since I started. So, how many have changed your life by waiting at their front door every morning for five to seven seconds and checking out like your car or your computer, rebooting and saying, oh, I can smell, I can hear, I can see, I can taste, I can touch the mezuzah. I see I did very well last week. All right. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. It takes a little time. Or I could just repeat last week's share if anybody wants me to. All right. So just, 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 just thank Hashem that you have those senses and that they're working. Okay, because when you get to the front door, you can really, you know, you stand there for a minute by the mezuzah. It's an Indian to stand there. I'm not going to get into the whole Kabbalah thing. There's a malach that walks out with you. And there's a bad malach on the other side of the mezuzah. If you do this, it gets rid of Whatever. Just trust me. It's a good place to do it. Opposite the mezuzah. It's a good place to do it. Okay. There's a mezuzah in your bedroom door also, but the mezuzah on the Pesach when you walk out of your house. Anyway, I don't want to get off to this week's subject. Ray and Eichi, the first thing you need to see is me. And we're going to have a little discussion. Some of you have heard the story, but I'm going to repeat it because I got aggravated and agitated this week. And you are my therapist, so I'm going to share my aggravation with all of you. Now, the second part says, The blessing. If you're going to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, your God, that I commanded you today, what's the bracha? Next pasuk. So the pasuk begins with a very big statement. And the bracha, if you listen to Hashem, is going to be, and it doesn't tell us what the bracha is. It starts the next pasuk. And the curse. If you're not going to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, your God gave you. You're going to go off the derech. By the way, that's where that, that's where that whole word of off the derech came from. If anyone wants to know, off the derech comes from the sartem min haderech. Yeah, not, why is that funny? That's where it comes from. The sartem haderech. And if you're going to go off the derech, I'll show you that I commanded you today. You're going to go after other gods. And you're going to go after gods that you don't even know. You're Jewish kids. You don't even know this stuff. The music you're listening to, you have nothing to do with it. You don't never use those words that are used in rap, that they're rhyming, that you're listening to. You would never use them. Oh, you got them. You don't even know what it's about. It's a different culture. It's pop culture. It's a whole different culture. You don't even know anything about it. But you got to run after it. you got to chase after it. The tyrant knew what was going to happen. So what's the curse? What's the big curse that's going to happen? When Hashem will bring you into Eretz Yisrael. What's going on with this Chumash? You start and you open up. And you're going to have a nebracha, if you're going to be good, it's going to be, and the curse, if you're going to be bad, it's going to be, and I'm going to bring you into Eretz Yisrael. So the Torah is telling us something, and it's not telling us what it, what it is. It's telling you the, it's going to be a bracha, it doesn't tell us the bracha, it tells us it's going to be a kola, it doesn't tell us the kola. So a very big lesson for everybody. I don't know where my hask goes. Where are you? Where's my water? Hello? <laughs> is hask closed? What's going on? Did they go back home for the summer? I don't know what's happening. Bacha, where are you? Okay, I'm talking to the camera. Don't get nervous. Anyway, every week, for those who don't know, the girls in half send me a bottle of water to drink. Are they closed? They're still up there? Oh, Bacha, you're packing? Okay. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay. Tadarabah.
I'm not making the bracha for them, I'm making the bracha because I'm thirsty. Because you're not allowed to make a bracha just to make a bracha. Alright, anyway, so the question is, what's the bracha? It doesn't say. What's the klala? It doesn't say. I know half of you are sitting there and saying, what is with Wallace tonight? He is so, like, what is he on? I want some of that stuff, right? <laughs> I ate a couple of pieces of chocolate before I got here. Anyway, so, so the, so the answer is as following. Listen carefully, it's beautiful. Eshabracha, the bracha is, Ashetishwil mitzvah Hashem. The bracha is that you have the ability to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem. Not if you listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, the following is the bracha. The bracha that a Jewish person has is that we have mitzvahs that we can listen to. That is the bracha. That is the bracha. What is the klala? You expect the klala, you know, you have these people walking around. Oh, if you do this, you're going to burn. And you're going to be ashes. And they're going to scoop you the ashes. And then you're going to burn you again. Then they're going to burn you again. You have these people that are out there to scare you. And the Torah tells you, no. No. The curse, the klala is, in like Hashem. The biggest curse is if I give you potential, right? I give you a million dollars and you burn it. And you throw it out the window. What bigger curse? The curse of throwing it out the window. So the Torah is telling us over here that the biggest bracha, everybody wants brachas. Give me a bracha. Right? The biggest bracha everybody has. Hashem gave you all these mitzvahs. That's the biggest bracha. The biggest klala, the biggest curse is when you don't keep these mitzvahs. Which brings me to my agitation this week. So... Yesterday, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday. I'm a little mixed up, my day's a little mixed up. I think it was yesterday, right? Tuesday. So I got hungry around 4.30, happens. And across the street is this little store that sells food. So I finally got out of my office. Shalom, I, I love doing what I do, don't get me wrong. But there are times in life that you just want to like walk out of your office and leave your cell phone up there so that nobody can reach you. Um, and it's interesting, my cell phone, I put it on vibrate in the office. I leave it on my desk, right? Ten minutes later, it's, it's, out, it's in the hall. It just, <laughs> just, just keeps walking. So there are times that I leave it in the office and I meet it, and I meet it downstairs on 13th Avenue. It, it has its own little way of walking. But, so I go into this place and, I, and, I, and I'm on a diet. You're all supposed to say, wow, you really did lose weight. No, you don't react. Okay. So I don't, I don't feel bad that you, didn't, that you don't remember last week's share. So I'm on this diet, and, and I'm drinking Diet Coke, which is not good for you. I just wanted you to know that. Um, especially if it has caffeine in it, it's not really good for you. But for some reason, I drink water all the time, but I just wanted that ice-cold can in the back of the refrigerator, and those bubbles, and you know that, that, that thank you, Hashem, that you can taste it, and it's cold, and you know the difference between cold and hot. And really, even drinking soda, you could thank Hashem. Like, wow, and you can feel those bubbles. It's different than water. So I had all this excitement in my head because I was... I had sushi for breakfast, uh, don't ask, right? And I was dying of thirst because that's what happens when you eat sushi in the morning. So I had this whole dream in my head going down the steps, and I managed to saw that can of, of Diet Coke. I saw it, I tasted it before even I got there, and I was going to go off my diet, I was going to cheat, so I was all excited. I was going to have a pretzel, right? So here I'm going across the street, and I have this pretzel and this Diet Coke. The guy across the street from me is a chassidish guy. He doesn't know that I speak he doesn't know anything about Ornava. I can actually walk into that place and walk out and nobody knows who I am. And this is absolutely amazing. So here I have my 10 minutes. I walk in and I buy myself my, my can of Coke and my pretzel. And the guy behind the counter, who I think doesn't know anything, right, about me, says, Oh! Rabbi Wallerstein is here! <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's for tzedakah. You know, this will be easy. I'll take out some money. He says, this guy, you know how long I know him? He points to another guy in the store. He says, this guy, the last hour, he's telling me he doesn't believe in Hashem. I'm like, neither do, neither. I'm like why are you talking to me? <laughs> I just don't want to get into this. So I'm like, Hashem? Is that an acronym for something? Like, what does that mean? Right? He says, no, really, Rev. Wallstein, you know, you are the per- perfect person to talk to him. 
I'm like, oh, I don't believe this. I can't, I'm not, I can't believe it. But on the other hand, it's my shirt because I never go downstairs. I always send someone. I never go downstairs, right? Here I am. I finally walk in. I want my break. And now I'm going to get into the whole five-hour atheist agnostic discussion. And all I wanted was a pretzel. <laughs> nope. So this guy says to me, oh, I get this one. Oh, I heard about you. I'm like, yeah. Baruch Hashem, he's not, he's not the guy from the shul that made fun, you know what I mean, that story. He's not, so he says, um, so I hear you talk a lot about God. I don't believe in God. How do you know that there's a God? And now a couple of Hasidic guys are coming in. This is, this is all set up. This was so set up, right? And they're like, I got like five guys behind me and this guy's by himself. And they're like, come on, tell them, tell them, you know? <laughs> so he says, I don't believe in God. Prove to me that there's a God. You can't prove to me that there's a God. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. So I'm like, you know, you're talking like an absolute idiot. <laughs> an absolute idiot. So that usually ends the discussion because the guy's like, oh, you're one of those rabbis. Oh, you're calling me names. Oh, and I'm out of here. And I'm hoping that'll happen, right? But I'm not that lucky. I'm saying, right, I finished the sentence. I'm like, I have to prove to you God. Excuse me for a second. I said, well, hold on one second. Did you, you're, you're an atheist? He goes, yes. Not everyone, you know, it's cool in, in New York that you're an atheist. They don't know agnostic. It's like a, a word they didn't learn yet, you know? So, like, atheist is a big word. I'm an atheist, right? Spell it, man! Uh, a, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you're an atheist and you can't even spell atheist. Okay. But I said, I said, you're an atheist means you don't believe in God, which means to me that you have read every proof of God in the world. You know, Shas, Mishnayis, Chumash, right? Zoyar. Kavayashar, you know, all this. And after learning all this, you've come to the conclusion, you were able to upslug it, which means you were able to go against every single proof and prove that it's wrong, and now you have come finally to this, you know, you finally came to it that there's no God. I said, do you know Shas? No. I said, do you ever learn the Zayar? No. I said, how could you come to me and tell me that you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, you don't even know who God is. You talking about? I said, come back in fifty years. Go to Eishat Torah. Learn all the proofs. Go on. Learn all the proofs. Learn everything, and then come back to me and say, like the Kuzuri, right after the Kuzuri. If you know anything about the Kuzuri, they sat down, they discussed, and in the end, he wasn't the, the, the Kuzuri became a Jew, right? So let's go learn everything. Come back to me in fifty years. Go to Kailo for fifty years. Come back to me, and then tell me that you went through everything and it's not true. I said, how could you? How could you make a statement like that? That's like if I got up right now and made a statement and said that all medicines in the world are placebos. Tylenol does not work. Motrin does not work. Antibiotics for strep does not work. Ah, you're going to tell me I had a headache, I took Tylenol, it went away. I'm going to tell you, no, it's all in your mind, it's a placebo. And I'll bring you proofs that placebos work. Placebo means it's not real. And being that you think it's a Tylenol, that's how it works. So I said, but if I got up, if I got up at a medical convention and said, Rabbi Wallerstein doesn't believe that medicine works, the first question that they're going to ask me is, do you have a degree in medicine? Are you a doctor? Are you a, a, a researcher? Are you a chemist? Are you a biological spec? What are you? No, I don't know anything. So who are you getting up and saying that medicine doesn't work? Study medicine. Do all the trials, do all the labs, and then come back after 50, 60 years, or 500 years, after you went through the whole medicine, then you can make a statement that it's a placebo. How dare you? I said to him, what do you, what, why do I have to prove anything? I said, I'll tell you a story about this kid in Florida. There's this kid in Florida, and he's sitting on the beach, and he's a Floridian. We had kids in camp that were Floridians. He's a Floridian, the best swimmers. Floridian, he's sitting on the beach. His whole life, he's sitting on a beach, Miami Beach. He invites his friend from New York, his friend comes, sits down next to him and says, Chaim, I am so happy I'm here. Why? He says, I just got out of New York. We were in such a snowstorm. A what? A snowstorm. What's a snowstorm? What's snow? Snow? These clouds. And then these little white things. It's like clouds that have dandruff. They come, <laughs> they come, they come floating down. 
and, and, and they get, and it piles up, and the cars are skidding all over the place, and it's cold, and you can build a snowman, you can fire snowballs, you can go skiing, go sled riding, snowmobiling. He says, you see on the water, those guys are zipping on the skidoos? We can do that on the snow. Kid says, I don't believe in snow. <laughs> There's no such thing. There's no such thing. I never saw snow. I never heard that water that comes down can turn into ice and all this. I don't believe in snow. So his friend's looking at him, what are you, what are you, dope? Get on a plane. Fly to New York. Fly to Colorado, to Aspen, right? In the middle of a 16-foot drift. And then tell me you don't believe in snow. No, 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 I'm not going there. I, I just don't believe it. I'm not, I'm not checking it out. Don't Google snow. I don't want to Google snow. I don't want to know about snow. I don't believe in snow. I'm sitting on my, my beach set. I'm taking a suntan. I, Chaim Schwartzberg, I don't believe in snow. So you're an idiot. What do you mean you don't believe in snow? Did you check out snow? Did you go to places where there are snow? So I said to him, I said, you're doing the same thing. You're standing here in the middle of Borough Park, and you're making a statement in a candy store, right? I don't believe in God. Did you check out God? Do you know anything about God? Did you learn about God? You're just making a statement. I said, I, I, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit outside, because I know why you're making this statement. And it has a lot to do with what I'm talking about. And I, and I spoke about this once before. And then, of course, I hit him with my story, which I love to say. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have not. And that's the story in France. Which, interesting, because I said it last night in Queens, and somebody sent me an email today that uh, maybe I'll read it to you. So there's this, this, there's this beautiful museum called the Louvre in, in Paris. How many of you have ever gone to Paris? Raise your hand. My question to you is, why? <laughs> why would anyone go there? Okay. Anyway, you think about the answer after you went there. But... There's a place called the Louvre. Now, the Louvre has very famous paintings. Very famous paintings worth a lot, a lot, a lot of money. The Mona Lisa, which everyone thinks is a big painting. It's a very small painting, right? Um, the Mona Lisa and the famous Monet flowers, right? I, I, I did my stuff. I know, I know, I know my art, right? And, and it's very, very famous. And they have, actually, they sent me this, this fax today. They have millions of people, let me just make sure it's not the one on Facebook, hold on. I got a fact about Facebook today, amazing. So I didn't forget, I just started to share, relax. Relax, we'll get there, don't worry. Hold on, so I got to read this to you because it's amazing that I spoke about it last night and I got this, this email. Nope, not this one. Okay, anyway, to make a long story short, so I think they said in this, in this email to me how many millions of people go through this museum. Uh, oh, the Jewish ladies. Mona Lisa, here you go. Okay. Mona Lisa smiles after Russian teacup attack. Okay. Um, it's a five, it's a 500 year old painting. It didn't do well. It was, it was stolen in 1911. Returned two years. It was, they threw acid at it in 1956. Okay, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people that see it and it's behind a bulletproof, a bulletproof window. Okay. So anyway, so, these, they have all these tours, and the curator of this beautiful museum, this French curator, takes all the people through. And, of course, their most famous paintings is the Mona Lisa and the Monet flowers. They have a lot of other ones there, Rembrandt, whatever. They have a lot of other ones. But those are the two that, you know, everybody comes to see. So they come into the museum, and they have some Americans and some French and some Italians. And they come into the museum, and the curator says, So, I'd like to show you all the beautiful painting. This is the finest. This is the Mona Lisa. They don't call it the Mona Lisa in French. That's a different word, but this is the Mona Lisa. Look at the, at the brushes, at, at, at the way the painter understood how to, how to capture a face in a, in a moment. And he's going through his whole French master, you know, the whole thing. And these two American old Jewish ladies are standing there. And one of them turns to the other one and says, Sadie! Isn't she ugly? Why would any famous painter paint an ugly lady like that? So, so, so the curator who's French is like, you know how they get the French, like, can't catch his breath, like, oh my god, they just insulted the Mona Lisa, you know? In French, he's like, 
can't in French. Like, he's like dying, right? But, but he's, proper, he's a proper Frenchman. I hope I'm not insulting any people who come from France. It's just joking around. Please don't, don't walk out. Okay, anyway, they're upset. Anyway, so, so he, he, he controls himself. He controls himself. You know, two out the Jewish ladies, what do they know? Fine. They don't like the Jews, the French. They don't like the Americans. I don't know why anybody would go there. Fine. They come into the next room. All these lights are on this one picture. This is the Monet Flowers. Not bad, my French, right? This is the Monet Flowers. This is a beautiful... He, he captured the most beautiful flowers. Sadie! You call those flowers? My granddaughter in second grade brought me home flowers for my birthday. She painted much nicer. This guy... This guy, it's okay, you can laugh. This guy totally loses it. He loses it. And he turns to these two Jewish ladies from America, and he says, ladies, not like that, right? ladies, right? He says, ladies, the Mona Lisa and the Monet is not on trial. You are on trial. What a vote. Not on trial. I'll go to English. The Mona Lisa and Monet, they're not on trial. You're on trial. They are paintings that are world famous, that are worth millions, that have been examined for hundreds of years by the greatest artists. They're not on trial. You, the people who walk through the museum, you're on trial if you understand what a painting is or what a painter is. Not a trial with your, your granddaughter. What, 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 are you, what are you opening your mouth? So I told it to this guy. I said, you got it all wrong. Hashem is not on trial. Prove God. God painted a perfect world. The sun comes up every morning. It goes down every night. There's a tide and there are waves and there's air and there's birds. And I don't have to go through the whole thing I went with him. And the human body and everything that goes on. Hashem has made all these paintings. The museum is 5,700, almost 70 years old. I said, you're an idiot. God is not, I get, I get angry. I said, God is not on trial. I don't have to prove you that God's world was created by God. You got to prove to me that God didn't create this world. And there's no way that you can prove that to me. I said, Hashem is not being judged. You're being judged. Do you understand when you walk outside your house or when you think that you want to move your hand and your hand moves and your body moves and all the things that go on in you, are you do you understand who the painter is? If you don't, the chisaron is in you. What's missing is in you. Not in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And my Diet Coke was already warm. My pretzel was already soggy. The whole thing was ruined. I was so agitated. I was so aggravated. But this is the truth. This is this is we have, Hashem has to Hashem has to prove himself. So then I, I said to him, you know, I'm sorry for calling you idiot. I just got ex- I got excited. Someone told me today there is no such word. It doesn't mean anything. Whatever it is, it comes from idiosyncrasy. It's a totally different meaning. But Hashem, I asked him. I asked him to forgive me for calling him names. He said, "Forgive what? You don't have to forgive anything. There's no God. What do you have to forgive?" I'm like, "Okay, it works. You know." This atheism, this atheism thing works. It does, it, it's got to, you know, something. Okay, whatever. Anyway, by the way, why not Hashem create a, uh, the, the people who don't believe in God? Why is there such a thing as apicarsis? Everything in the world can be used for good. How could not believing in God be used for good? So the famous rabbi got up and he said, when it comes to charity, be an atheist. Somebody comes to you for money, right? Like, listen, I'm having such a hard time in business. It's not working out. I can't pay my bills. No, don't worry. Hashem will take care. You have nothing to worry about. You know, can you help me out? You know, with this and that. Girls, you know, can you rent me a shidduch? Can you help me out? You know, maybe give me a shidduch. No, we don't have to worry about. Hashem will take care. All of a sudden, everybody has a muna. So the tzaddik got up and he said, when it comes to charity, you be an atheist. There's no God. I have to take care. That's why it's created. Apikorsis is created. When it comes to people asking for help, don't give them the answer. Don't worry, Hashem will take care. No, you take care. That's when you have to be an atheist. When it comes to charity, you have to be an atheist. God's not going to help you. There is no God in the world to help you. I'm going to help you. 
That's why, the, that's why atheism was created. Not for a bunch of Shugam walking around saying, prove me God. I have to prove you God. You prove me that there is no God. So I said to him something very disturbing, but it has a lot to do with this month that's coming up, this Shabbos. We're benching Elul. I was like, I was just telling someone, Hashem doesn't let us have a good time. Right? It's summertime. You're all excited. You get out of school. It's party time. Right? Right when the summer starts, three weeks, Shiva was no music, no movies, no parties. And you're like, oh my goodness, now I'm in the three weeks. I want to have a good time. Then all of a sudden comes the nine days. Then comes Tishabov. Then you have to really wait till Tuba of, till the whole model thing changes for the weddings, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden it's Tuba of, and Shalom Aleichem, this Shabbos we're benching, we're Shkodesh Elul, you have to start doing Tshuva. <laughs> there goes your whole summer. You want to party, you got the nine days of three weeks, and Elul. Shem knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So this Shabbos, we're benching with Shkodesh, everybody. We're Shkodesh Elul. I'm to my loved one, my loved one is to me. So the question is, why does it start with I am to Hashem and Hashem is to me. How about Hashem is to me and I am to Hashem? Right? At the end of Tishabah, what do you say at the end of Eicha? Hashem, you come to me, right? Then I'll follow you. But in Elul, right, starts off I'm to you, God. Well, it should be the other way around. God is to me and I am to God. Why do I have to start this relationship? Good question. So my answer is what I told this guy, which is so true. I said to him, I said, listen, I don't know you, and I don't believe for one second that you're an atheist. I don't believe for one second that you don't believe in God. You must be doing something really bad. Nice thing to tell this guy, right? This is all over a pretzel, right? He didn't know what he asked for. I said, I said, let me ask you something. If a person is keeping all 613 mitzvahs, you're like, really, you keep Shabbos and Tzniyus, and you do every mitzvah, and you daven, you do everything it says in the Torah. Is that person going to believe in God? Is that person going to ask for proofs in God? Of course not, because you want there to be a God, because you want to come to the next world, and God's going to say, wow, you're amazing. Ganeiden, Eilam Haba, Mashiach, everything. What do you mean, I'm keeping all these mitzvahs and there is no God? What a waste of time. So the person who's doing everything right wants God. Big time. Big time. It's the person who's doing everything wrong that doesn't want God. So I said to him, what are you doing, man? What are Vera like? You don't have to tell me. It's not like you have to confession, right? But what are you doing so bad that you have to start this whole business that you don't believe in our Kurdish Baruch? You're doing something really bad. I told you a long time ago, the story of the guy in my office came to me, and he, and, and he had a best friend, and he said, Ray Wallstein, you know, my best friend became an atheist. I said, tell me about your best friend. So he's a, he's a from guy, he was a from guy, he got married, went to Yeshiba with me, Mamash, a beard, pay, he was a great guy, everything, did everything he was supposed to, has get married to a very nice girl, has children, everything, a year ago, Shabbos, Treif, Whatever you can imagine, his kids still go to shul, his kids still go to cheder, but he keeps nothing. And he, and, and all he does is keep telling me that the Jewish religion is not real, God is not real, there is no God. He said, Rabbi Walton, he became an atheist overnight. For the last year, the guy is an absolute atheist. I said, really? He says, yeah, and I want, you're the only guy in the world, I don't know what you people think, right? But you're the only guy in the world, you're gonna speak to him, you're gonna just turn him around. I don't know what you guys think I am. Like, you know, sprinkle a little, uh, there you go. What am I? What am I, you know, I'm like, what is this? one 900 quarter turn them around? Like, what are you talking about? So, so he says, no, I really think you can turn around. I want you to talk to him. I'm asking you a favor. I do business with this guy. I'm asking you a personal favor. I want you to talk to him. I said, you're very close with him? Like this. What do they call it? BFF? Best friends forever, right? BFF. Uh, BFF. I'm like, okay, close the door. Closes the door, he sits down. I'm like, can I tell you something? Sure. He said, your friend, how long is he married? I think it was 12 years, maybe 14 years. He said, I hate to tell you this. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'm going to have to ask him Nechila. But I, I, my opinion, how long is he an atheist? He says a year. He's having an affair with a non-Jew. That's what I said. Chutzpah, right? This guy sits there. He, he actually works down the hall from me, right? And he starts to back up. <laughs> but Walsh, you're not going to say some Hebrew words and burn me up, are you? <laughs> no, he says, you're a makubal. 
<laughs> no one in the world knows that he's having an affair. Except for me, says this guy. And how do you know she's not Jewish? There's no way that you can know this if you're not a Makubal. I'm like, I am a Makubal. <laughs> and I know exactly what every single person in this room is thinking right now. <laughs> and I'm not happy with what everyone's thinking right now. We'll talk about it after the share. I said, I am a Makubal. I said, I'm not a Makubal. What are you talking about? I don't know any of this stuff. I'm not a Makubal. He says, so how do you know? I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would a guy who went to yeshiva, get married to a nice Jewish girl, have nice Jewish children, they're going to yeshiva, right? He has a family, he has a house. What happened at 35 years old, a guy who went to yeshiva, who went to shul, who was doing everything he was supposed to, who was bringing up a Jewish family, one morning, he gets out of bed, modeh, no, there's no God. <laughs> Doesn't happen. There's a driving force. There's something in his life that he's doing wrong that he needs to get rid of Hashem. I said, and from what you're telling me, the only thing that can pull a guy like this, it ain't a cheeseburger. And it's not lobster. It's just not. It's a non-Jewish shiksa. That's the only thing that's going to take a guy away from his family and make him into an atheist. So you know what? I'm not a makubal, and I'm not a this, and I'm not a that. It's just very simple. One plus one equals two. So therefore, when you come to the month of El, it has to start, because the month of El represents Teshuvah, coming back to Hashem. The first part of Teshuvah has to be Ani Lidaidi. I have to stop making excuses that I don't believe in Hashem. Because every Jewish Neshama believes in Hashem. And the first thing I need to do is to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's not about me and you. It's about me. And I am to you, Hashem. And I believe in you and I have no questions in you. And because I have no questions in you and I'm doing the wrong thing and I know you're here, that's what's going to bring me back to doing Teshuvah. But if I'm going to, because of the things I'm doing wrong, I'm going to question God, I'm never going to do Teshuvah. My whole life I'm going to go around with questions and questions and questions and questions. I tried to say this last night to the crowd. I, they didn't hop what I was saying. I'm going to try it again tonight. Maybe I'll be more, a little more clear, but it's just such a brilliant statement. So I think it was the Briskarov. I'm, I'm almost sure it was the Briskarov. This guy came to the Briskarov, and he came to the Briskarov in Europe, and he said, I'd like to talk to the rabbi. I heard the rabbi is brilliant. I'd like to ask you, some questions about God. I have questions if God exists. So the Briskarov was a very smart man. Asked this person, "Are you Shemesh Shabbos?" And the person said, "No." He said, "Do you eat kosher?" And the person said, "No." He said, "I'd like to." I want. Briskarov says, "If you want me to, to help you, you have to be honest with me. I want to know what came first: your chilul Shabbos or your questions about God. What came first? Were you mechalal Shabbos?" Or your questions on God. Are you Mechal Shabbos because you have questions on God? Or you were Mechal Shabbos and therefore you have questions on God? He says, I was Mechal Shabbos first. And then, after a while, I, I have a question if there's any God altogether. So when he went to Briskarov said, it's very brilliant, you have, to, you have to catch it. The Briskarov said, your questions on God are not questions. Your questions are answers of why you're being Mechal Shabbos. You don't have a question on God. You're being Mechal Shabbos, and you got to answer that up. You can't live with that. So now, your questions on God, because it's maybe not a God, that's why I'm Mechal Shabbos. So your questions on God, they're not questions. They're an answer. And the Briskarov says, I can't give you an answer on an answer. So there's no reason for us to have this discussion. Our questions, our questions on Hashem, are you there, are you not there, are you real, are you not real, that's really our answer to what we're doing that we're not supposed to be doing. And therefore, if I was 100% sure there was a God, I couldn't do this. So I have to create in my own mind questions about why and where and what so that the stuff I want to do, I'm going to be able to do. That's El. First thing you got to start off with, I don't have questions, I know he's there. You know he's there, then the stuff you're doing bad, you're going to want to change. The you has to come first. If Hashem comes first, then you're going to try to get rid of him. If you get rid of him, 
then you don't got no problem. There won't be an Elul for you. And there won't be a Rosh Hashanah for you. And there won't be a Yom Kippur for you. Anilidaidi, means I'm to my loved one and my loved one is to me. It also means something else. Ishlari eyu, umatanas le'evyonim. Ishlari eyu, umatanas le'evyonim are the Rosh Hashanah of Elul. Which means, on Purim we say, right, Ishlari a man to his friend, Gishlach Manas, umatanas le'evyonim, we give to the poor. In Elul there's two things that we need to do. We need to work on our relationship between us and God, and we need to work on our relationship between us and our Kaddish Baruch. There's a story. Now, you're going to have to let me finish the story. Don't get, don't walk out on me in the middle, because it's a very weird story. But it's an amazing story. And the story is like this. There was this little bird, and it never was dropped out of his nest, and it had a broken wing. And this poor little bird was laying on the side of a road and it couldn't fly and it was very cold and it was shivering along came a cow cow in the street went over to the bird excuse me everyone for what I'm about to say went over to the bird and took a big dump on the bird for all those who don't know what the word dump means it poo pooed on the bird (laughs) Robert Wallerstein you have now hit the bottom like what kind of story? Where could he go with it? Where could he go with this, right? When I heard this story, I was like, where am I going with this? No, I have to tell you the story. Big, a big, big Rav said this story on Tishabov. You got to hear the story. It's amazing. Okay, so now you have this little baby bird. Please do not try to imagine what I'm saying. Okay? You have this little baby bird laying on the side of the road with a broken wing who's now under a pile of manure. Right? And it begins to chirp. It's chirp, chirp, chirp. It's chirping. It's happy. It's chirping, right? Along comes a farmer and rides by and he hears a pile of manure chirping. He says to himself, there's something very wrong here. So he gets off the horse. In New York, nobody would stop, right? He, he gets off the horse and he walks over to the pile of manure and he says, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Something's chirping in the pile of manure. That's not normal, right? Let me go look. So he takes his, whatever, rake, and he starts to push the manure aside, and he sees Nebuch, this poor little baby bird, in the manure. So he puts on his, even though the story took place like 200 years ago, he puts on his latex gloves for the story, right? <laughs> and he takes, the, he takes the little bird out, takes it home, like a little kid, he washes it, and he sets the, the, the broken wing, and he feeds it little worms, and he takes care of it. And never hears it chirp again doesn't understand doesn't understand so there was one big tzaddik that lived in the town who knew the nistarites of Shlomo Melech and he knew how to talk to animals so the farmer goes running to this tzaddik he says you gotta ask the bird why did it stop chirping here it is I took care of it I fed it worms I fixed its wing it now can fly why did it stop chirping so the rabbi goes to the bird he says bird what's going on with you under a pile of manure you're singing like a bird and now he cleans you up and, he, and gives you your wings back and you're, you don't say one word. What's going on? So the bird says, you don't understand. I was cold. I was alone. I was broken. And all of a sudden, I felt warmth. I felt comfort. I felt covered. I felt special. And then... Along comes this mean guy, takes off that warmth, that covering, that support, that comfort, washes it all away, and sticks my wing in some kind of cast. Why should I chirp? Crazy story. Crazy story. Right, Wallstein, what are you talking about? Said this rub. I love it. This is the greatest story I've heard my whole life. I just don't know how to advertise when I speak about it. You know, the bird that, whatever, how do you want to, <laughs> how am I going to advertise this share, you know? This story, what did this rabbi say? This story is about all of us. This story is about the Jewish nation. This story is about Klausro. He said on Tishabov, which just passed not that long ago, we fell out of the nest. We fell out of Eretz Yisro. We were thrown out of Eretz Yisro. Broken. 
the Jewish nation, without a base, I made those without anything, totally out of the nest, broken on the side of the road, cold and left alone. Along comes America, drops a pile of manure on us. That's where we live. All the garbage that we have in this, in America, not America, in the whole world, the whole Western, the whole civilization. All the pornography, the filth, the weird music. Some girl introduced me this week. I, I said, I got to know what you're listening to. First of all, she's down the block and I hear it. <laughs> and she's got these two little earphones in her ear. How could I, right? So I'm like, what are you listening to? First of all, people have to know that as, 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 as well as Hashem put your brains in your head, right? If you put on music that loud, it will vibrate. Your brains will vibrate, right? So I don't think people realize that. They should have a warning. Brains can vibrate to this music, right? So I said, can I hear your, what you're listening to? She goes, sure. And she puts it on my ear. It's techno, right? How, how, it's like sticking hot french fries in your ears. Now, how, do you, how do you listen to this stuff and stay normal? I mean... What are they going to do with our kids in, in first grade? The new ear test, right? When I was a little kid, they come to the, to the school, they put those two things on your ear, and go, beep, beep. For this generation, it's going to go, meh. Mishugan, what are you doing? It's a pile of manure. But since all the Goyim are listening to techno and all the other Mishugasim, right? So, ah... It's warm. It's nice. I like it in here. I'm comfortable in a club. I'm comfortable with the non-Jewish music. I'm comfortable dressing like them. I'm comfortable with the drunk and the drinking and the partying. I'm comfortable under this manure. That's where you are. We're as silly as this little bird. And we're chirping. We're happy. I live in America. Everything is good. Right? We're very happy. In the meanwhile, what are you happy about? You're living in a pile of manure. So maybe if you dive into Hashem, that He should come and wash it off and fix our wings. Mashiach will come. But as long as you're chirping under the pile of manure, why should Hashem wash off the manure? We're so happy in this manure that we live in. It's not funny. It's very, very true. We're so happy. I was telling them when I was in Great Neck, I was just like, you know, this American passport, I... You know, when I speak, I'm talking about myself. I'm not talking about you guys. You know, it's a big thing. You have an American passport. Wherever you go, it feels good that you have an American passport. You know, you come to Israel. You get off El Al. You know, you come to the to those lines. And it says, Israeli citizen. <laughs> not me. I'm an American. I'm not going on that line. All right? And you come up to that foreigner. Big word. Foreigner. That's me. I'm a foreigner. I'm an American. Right? You take out your passport. You go walking up to that Israeli girl. She starts talking at, uh, what? I do the same thing. Like, if you start talking Hebrew, then they think you're, that they think you're an Israeli citizen, then they're gonna send me to the army. So, I'm not gonna talk to you Brit, so I'm talking English. I'm like, what did you say? And she's like, Tadati, lo? What? You want me to say the alphabet? What? What are you saying? Right? We play, we play this game, right? Because Chas Vashon, that you should, they should know that you're, you know, even that you're Jewish, but like, you know, I'm not Israeli, you know? And then they ask you the question, do you have family? And you say yes. And how close are they? Oh, pretty close. You have an apartment? Yeah, my father has one. Oh, finished. You're done. You're fried. That's it. No, Israeli. Israeli. Let me see your Israeli passport. I'm like, what are you, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have an Israeli passport. I'm an American! And I'm very proud. I'm a foreigner. And finally, you know, she gives up and you walk in there and you put your passport back in and you're feeling really good. Until you start trying to figure out how to get, how to get to Yerushalayim. But that's a different case. Now, you come back to America and then they have these, you know, you get up at 5.30 in the morning and they have these two lines. And it says, foreigners! And all the Israelis got to go on that line. And there's always that Jamaican flight that comes in at 4.30 that's ahead of you. So there's like 900 foreigners on that line. There's like the one plane that comes in before. And number all the Israelis have to stand on that line for five years. And you walk up and it says, U.S. citizens. <laughs> so, how the Yankees doing? Because you don't want them to even think that you're an Israeli spy or anything. Like, you're like, how the Yankees doing, you know? And like, you feel like you're a real American. And you feel good. And you turn around you look at all those Israelis on the line. You're like... Oh my God, they're stuck there for six weeks. They'll never get out, right? They, gotta, they have to give a reason 
to the American government why they're here. They have to have a letter from the school, from the reason for the bed, the bed, right? And you just walk in, I'm an American. Now, you want to you know how, how under manure we are? Want to know how under manure we are? The same person, me, right? We want Mashiach now. We want Mashiach now. Animamim, right? So what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? Right? When you go to Eretz Yisrael, the worst thing in Eretz Yisrael is that a Jew should be a foreigner. That you should feel that you're a foreigner and you're proud of it. When you come to America, you should be, I'm a citizen right now, but I hope one day Mashiach will be here and I'll be on the foreigner line. Instead of running to the U.S. citizen line and say, I'm a U.S. citizen. When we come to America, we're supposed to be a foreigner. When we come to Eretz Yisrael, we're supposed to be a citizen. And we Americans, it's the other way around. We come to Israel, I'm a foreigner. I don't live here. We come to America, I am an American citizen. We're so happy chirping in the manure. It's not funny. So then we want Mashiach. That you want Mashiach? So when you come to America, never you have to go and use you're, you're not a foreigner, you're a citizen. Never I, I feel at home. This is my home. I'm going home. Where are you going? I'm going home. When are you going home? Right? And they ask girls in seminary. What do they ask you? So, when are you going home? We're going home in two weeks. So then you ask Hashem, I don't understand why you're not bringing Mashiach. You're calling America home. So Hashem says, Why should I bring Mashiach? You're chirping in the manure. Have a good day. Keep chirping. Have a nice life. Leave me alone. You have to know. You have to be focused. We have to understand. That we never, we're here, but this is not our home. Right? Yisrael is our home. This is not our home. So, you know, the bird, the bird story sounds funny when you begin, but when you become the bird, and America is the cow, it ain't so funny. The story's not funny at all. All right. Now that I got that off my chest, <laughs> we'll end with a good story. Can't end with that bird story. It's just not an ending story. So we're going to end with a very, very, very beautiful story. And the story is like this. Baruch Hashem, I had six stories tonight. I only said three, so I have, I have something to do next week. Great. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful story about, I never said this before here, most beautiful story about tzedakah, about Beit al-Machavero, and I'll let you go. You can check this out. If you go to Vilna, in the, in the graveyard in Vilna, there are two brothers buried next to each other. And on their gravestone, on one of their gravestones, it says the following. Kappa Parsa La'ani. She spreads out her palm to the poor. On one of them, one of the boys, one of the brothers. That's what it said. So and so died, so and so day, and the Pasuk on his grave is Kappa Parsa La'ani. She spreads her palm to the poor. Anyone who walks in there and says, is this a woman that's buried here or a man? Why would you put Ashes Chayo on a man's grave, right? On the other side, the, the, the brother's grave, which is right next to the other brother, it says, V'yodeha shilcha le'evyon. And she, has, she extends her hand to the destitute. So whoever goes into the Vilna uh, graveyard asks the question, why would you put from Eshes Chayel on two men's graves? And why these words? So this is the story behind those graves. It's amazing. And it's a true story. And they, they, the, the person who takes care of the Vilna graveyard says this over where everyone asks the question. He says the, he says the following story. There were these two brothers, and they were very, very wealthy. And they gave a lot, a lot of tzedakah. And their business started to turn, and they started to lose money, and lose money, and lose money. And they were losing everything. And everybody in the town started to question Hashem. These were the two nicest, sweetest, best guys in the whole town. And they were losing all their money. So, the people came to the rabbi... The Rosh Bezdin said, Rabbi, what's God doing? The two best guys are losing all their money. So the rabbi said, there's a big chil Hashem. People are going to walk around and say, good people, right, are going to lose all their money. We got to find out there must be a bad side to these two guys. They must have done some big Avera to lose so much money. They called them in and the Bezdin sat with them for a whole day and they went through their whole life, everything they did and everything they do a whole day. And no matter what they looked at, these guys were davening and learning. They were doing the right thing. They weren't doing anything wrong. So he said, there's got to be something wrong. Hashem's not just doing this. Come back tomorrow. They came back the following day. They checked it out. And they found out what these two guys were doing wrong. What they were doing wrong was that the halacha is, and I was supposed to start tonight halacha with Hilchus Kibbut Aveim. You didn't remind me. But uh, we'll start next week. The halacha is that you're not allowed to give more than a fifth of your money to tzedakah. 
one twentieth of your money, that's what you're allowed to give to tzedakah. Unless someone's dying, right? Normally, and if you give more, it's called mevazvez. You're insulting. You're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to give a tenth, but you can give up to a twentieth. These two, I had a plastic spoon here before. I don't know where it went. Is Abibit here? Abibit, could you give me another plastic spoon? I need this for my story. Okay, so, so these two brothers, for some reason, were giving away much more. So the, the Bezdin said, since you're giving away too much tzedakah, Hashem is taking away your money. We are not, we don't want to see you guys lose all your money. We are not allowing you to give any more tzedakah. Whoever comes to your house for tzedakah, you send them to Bezdin. So people started coming to the house. We always came to this house for money. They came to the two brothers. Could you give me tzedakah? No, I'm not allowed to give tzedakah. Go to Bezdin. They went to Bezdin. And thank you very much. Oh, two. Whoa. Okay. I got to say another story. Okay, anyway. So they came to Bezdin. And Bezdin gave these people money. They came running back to these two brothers. They said, I don't understand. We came to you. You gave us $500. We go to Bezdin. They give us $20. Bezdin's not giving us anything. You got to help us out. And they were so good. And they were so kind. They were so kind. That they couldn't say no. So even though Bezdin told them they can't give tzedakah, they said, that means money. But they never said, we can't give the couch. Or the chairs. Or the table. Or the curtains. Or the towels. Or the sheets. Or the blankets. Or the beds. So people started coming to the house and they said, listen, we don't have money to give you. I'll give you my bed. And the guy would take the bed to the movie truck, pick up the bed, sell the bed for the money. And this guy, their house all of a sudden started getting depleted. And before you knew it, there was nothing left in the house. The house belonged to the bank or whoever belonged to the... Uh, there wasn't a morsel of food, a bowl, a fork. There was nothing left in the house. But these two guys, because they were into tzedakah, I spoke about it last night, they had their key of charity. They were able to give, they, 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 you know, become, it's called, it's called hergel nasateva, something that you do over and over, it becomes you. If you always smile, then you always smile no matter what. If you're always happy, you'll always be happy. No matter if the world comes to an end, you'll still be smiling. It becomes you. Yeah, that's how it becomes you. And if you're a miserable person all the time, then even when something good happens, you won't be able to smile. Hergel nasa teva. What you do often, that becomes your teva. So you have to be very careful. So this became their teva. If you ask me for money, I will sell the shirt off my back. So here were these two guys, and they looked around their house, and they said, Baruch Hashem, we gave everything that we have in this world, except the clothing that we're wearing, we gave away to tzedakah. And there's a knock on the door. And they open up the door, and there's these two poor ladies standing there. And they're like, we came from a faraway town, and we heard that you're so charitable, you too, you always help everyone. Our children are starving. You must help us. And the two brothers looked at each other, and they said, we don't even have a nail to give her. We don't have anything to give her. They were in so much pain. They didn't know what to do because the person who gives the greatest pain is not being able to give. So the one brother says to the other, you know what? Maybe we missed something. Let's do Pesach. Let's go through the house. Let's go through the drawers. Let's go through everything. And let's see if there's anything left. And they go and they finally come to the kitchen and they pull out all the cabinets and all the way in the back of one of the cabinets is a silver spoon. A silver spoon! And they're jumping! We have something to help these poor ladies! And there's two ladies there. And there's one spoon. And they look at each other and the brother, that's why I asked for the spoon. One brother takes one end of the spoon, the other brother takes the other end of the spoon. I knew this would bend and not break. I knew it! They break it in half. And one brother gives to the lady the handle, and the other one gives the ladle, as we say, the spoon. Now, let's take a look at what it said on their gravestones. This is what it said on their gravestones. Kappa parcelani. This part, the ladle, is called a kappa. And the hand, the handle, they gave to the other poor person. That's why these two men had these two psukim on their gravestones. Elo stands for but it also stands for Shlachmanos and Matanos Lev The greatest 
pleasure to Baruch Hu in the world is to see that his children are helping each other. And the person you help the most when you help someone else, which is something that we all need to take in Elul, besides our relationship with Hashem, our relationship with others, and of course I love to say this, but I mean it, our parents, because that's the closest person, to us, to help our parents, is the greatest thing for you, because what happens is, there was a silly donkey on a, on a horse, and actually not a silly donkey, but a silly horse, and there's a donkey and a horse lately, I don't know, those are my stories, but the horse, they're on a trip, and the horse they put like 10 pounds of stuff on, and on the donkey, they put 200 pounds of stuff. And the donkey said to the horse, it's breaking my back, Mr. Horse, can you help me? And the horse says, no, the master didn't put it on my back, the master put it on your back. I got 20 pounds, you got 200 pounds, I'm not helping you. It's your problem, mister, he put it on your back. And the donkey said, please help me, it's breaking my back. And the horse says, don't you understand, I'm not going to help you. And then the donkey's back broke. And the donkey died. So what happened? The owner took the 200 pounds off the donkey, the dead donkey's back, and put it onto the horse's back. So now, not only was the horse carrying his, his, the donkey's load, but he's carrying his load plus the donkey's load. If he would have taken half the donkey's load, then he would have been just carrying 100 pounds plus his load instead of now 200 pounds plus his load. And now the horse's back is breaking. So when Akash Baruch Hu is telling all of us that when a poor person, or a poor person doesn't mean, only mean money, someone that needs your help comes to you, right? If you're not going to help him and he's going to break, he's going to, something's going to happen to him and he's going to break mentally or physically, then that load that he was carrying is now going to be on your back. So now you're going to have your tsaris plus his tsaris. Silly. Help him with his tsaris. I don't know if I should repeat this, but I guess when, when Hashem sends me a message, I, I, I just—I I wasn't supposed to say this, but I just want to tell you something. I think everyone in this room needs to know this. So I spend a lot of time in what I do. A lot, a lot of time. And people always tell me, I don't want to bother you, and I'm bothering you. And I always give them this answer, and they look at me weird. I'm like, if you didn't bother me, I'd be dead. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, if you didn't bother me, I'd be dead. You know, they're like, what are you talking about? The answer is... My Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, right? So my wife, you know, she said to him, he's opening this school, he's opening that school. It's a lot of stuff. And Rabbi Gamliel said, if your husband is on this world to do what he's supposed to do, if he's going to stop doing it, then they're going to take him away from the world. Whatever time you have with him, it's better than visiting him once a year on his yard site in the grave. If he's, if he's in this world to help people and then you're going to stop helping people, then Hashem doesn't need him here anymore. Sure, you'll be able to talk to him, but you'll be able to talk to him once a year. Baruch Hashem, you have him for Shabbos, you have him. He was very tough, my Rebbe. You know? But, but, but I understood what he was saying. Is everybody, all of us are here to help other people. And if we're, if we're going to start saying like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for these people. I don't want to help them. Of course, you have to have, have time for your family also. But you have to understand that some of us are in this world specifically to help people. So if you don't want to help or do anything, then you don't need to be here anymore. So the little time, you know, to give away a little time in order to have a lot of time, that, that's, a, that's a great deal. And then Rabbi Gamliel says something even scarier. He said that when a person comes down to this world, before you come down to this world, they, tell, they, they, they say the amount of tsaros that you're going to have to deal with in your life. Definitely, definitely, every Rosh Hashanah, because we say it in the Unisana Tokef, and we're coming to Rosh Hashanah, and we sign a Tokef, we say, Mi Yashar, Mi Yishalev, Who's going to have a quiet year? And who's going to have a lot of problems that year? How many problems are you going to have that year? Rosh Hashanah says exactly how many tzaras you're going to have that year. But it doesn't say, ladies, who's tzaras. So if you take on other people's pain, then you don't have to get that pain. If it's 100 pounds of pain, and you're taking on 100 pounds of pain of someone else, then you don't have to get that pain. You took care of 100 pounds of pain. So when the person thinks, I'm going to help her, I gotta help myself, silly. If you help her, you won't have to help yourself. Because you have a certain amount of source you have to deal with. If you're gonna deal with someone else's source and help them, then you won't have them. That's how Hashem runs the world. Ani ladaidi ladaidi li. But not only that, an L will take on to help other people. Because the more people's source that you help, the less you're gonna have. Silly, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. So when people call me and they bother me, I'm like, bother me. Because if everyone stops bothering me, yeah, 
It ain't going to be good for me. Much better for me if you bother me. Then I know I'll be here. You don't bother me? Who needs me? Shem needs me here to eat pizza? Eat sushi? Have kidney stones? What, he needs me here to have that? Eat chocolate? He didn't put me here for that reason. My bracha to everybody is that Klai Yisrael as a whole, we should taka, get cleaned up from all the manure that we're stuck with the whole year. Klai Yisrael means the Jewish nation. We got so much garbage on us from a whole year that this Rosh Hashanah, Shem should wash us and clean us and fix our wings so that we can be able to fly back to Eretz Yisrael. And when we come to the passport control in Israel, there's only going to be one sign. Citizens. Klai Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, we're back. We have a base on Migdash, not a government, but a base on Migdash and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we should all be citizens of Eretz Yisrael. And anywhere else, foreigners. Have a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.